0: Well, hey, good morning. My name is Mike. I'm on the pastoral team here at Christ Church, and it is so good to be with you. Whether you're in the room this morning, if you're joining us over in East, or if you're joining us online, it's good for us to just be together in worship this morning. I hope you guys had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to spend some time with family, friends, and other loved ones, and really just get to celebrate the day, relax a little bit, and hopefully give some thanks and praise to God for what he's done in this past year. So in last week's message, we talked a little bit about what we called a theology of enough. And so the premise of it is to take that thankfulness that we feel on Thanksgiving and make it not just a fleeting one-day thing, but a permanent attitude that continues to walk with us each and every day throughout the entire year. And A Theology of nuf is really simple. It's this trust that what God has given us is sufficient, and that God will continue to provide for our needs each and every day. And when we have that trust, we can take on that permanent attitude of thanksgiving and we've become free from any stress that might come from striving, that we need to get more and more stuff, more and more money, or it frees us from the anxiety that there is not going to be enough for us and for the people that we love. Now, nowhere in Scripture is this theology of enough more exemplified than in Proverbs 30, which goes like this. It goes, O God, I beg two favors from you, and let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So you can see in that verse, in that prayer almost, that the author of this proverb is praying for just enough, knowing that there is a danger and a brokenness that can occur when we have either too much or too little. That both of those things, too much and too little, can disconnect us from God. It can create a barrier in our relationship between us and him. And if we continue to set our lives and center our lives around the accumulation of stuff and money, eventually it's impossible for us to follow God and to serve God. And Jesus even highlights that in a verse where he says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So last week we spent a lot of time talking about how not having a theology of enough can disconnect us from God. But this week, what we need to talk about is the way that too much or too little, lacking that theology of enough, can disconnect us from our neighbors. Because when we are living in anxiety that we're not going to have enough, or if we're never content, if we're always striving for more and more, that becomes a barrier for us being generous. And I think that a theology of enough inherently leads to generosity. It inherently leads to us regarding our neighbors and strangers as family and loving on them the way that we would love on the ones closest to us. So when we have this theology of enough and we are secure in what we have, when we trust God to continue to provide for us, then what we share with one another is of little consequence between us and God, but it makes all the difference in our relationships between us and the other person. But I think even when we get into this place where we're comfortable with what God has given us and we are satisfied and we trust God to provide for us in the future, there can still be a little bit of a mental hang up when it comes to generosity. Specifically this question of, okay, I can be generous, but what if that generosity goes to the wrong place? What if I give money to an organization and it doesn't get to the people that it says it's going to help? What if I give money to somebody who is begging on the street, and instead they just use that money for drugs and alcohol? What if I give away something to someone else, but maybe I need it more later than they do? And I understand why we might think that way, but it becomes a block in our relationship with the people around us. And there's a very specific story from my life where I had to work through those feelings to get to the other side where I can really embrace a theology of enough. So back when I was 21, I was in college, and I got offered this internship through the political science department at the college that I was going to, uh, to work out in D.C. for six months. And I thought that this was an amazing opportunity. I jumped on it and spent six months of my junior year out in D.C. And I think that this is a common experience, no matter what big city that you go to, but one of the first things that really just, like, smacked me in the face getting out there is the juxtaposition between those who have a lot and those who don't have enough. That a very specific place where those two types of people the people on K Street and Capitol Hill making six or seven figures came in contact with those who were barely able to make ends meet. All came together in the DC Metro, which is their train system or their equivalent of a subway system. And so you would have these guys that were in, you know, Italian suits that cost thousands upon thousands of dollars, standing someone next to someone who was homeless, who is begging for change. And that juxtaposition is really jarring because to me, when I see that, that's not what I imagine the kingdom of God to be like. I don't think that that's what God has attended for us, for humanity, is to have such drastic difference between those who have so much and those that have so little. And so me... I was one of those few people who kind of lived in the middle that between my $500 stipend that I got from the law firm per month and uh, some grocery money from my parents, um, I was in a place where um, I wasn't exactly rolling in it, but I was never concerned about where my next meal was going to come from. And so as much as possible, as I encountered people in the metro that were panhandling, were begging, um, I wanted to help them out as much as possible, and so I tried to give what I could. But there was one day, one very specific day, when, man, I just was not in the mood. And you guys know how this goes, that, you know, if you have a rough day at work, or if you stay at home with kids and the kids are crazy, and you just, you get in this mindset where nothing in the world can go right, I was having one of those days. And so, I get onto the metro, and I take the first train, and I get out of the city, and I'm headed up towards my place in Maryland, and I have to transfer trains to get to where I'm going. So I hop off, and I'm you know, trying to catch the red line, going north, and I'm on the platform, and as I'm walking across the metro platform, I see this guy, and he's got a sign, and it says, I'm deaf, I'm homeless, I'm a veteran. Anything you can give helps. God bless. And so because I was having a bad day, instead of just like reaching into my pocket and giving whatever I had in my wallet, I started sizing this guy up and starting to judge whether or not he deserved my generosity. And the first thing I noticed about him was that he was a little bit heavy set for a guy who was homeless. Like this is a guy that didn't look like He had been skipping many meals. And yeah, maybe like his beard was unkempt and maybe it looked like he hadn't taken a shower in a couple of days. But I was like, I was kind of suspicious of the way this guy looked. And I was like, do I really want to give my money to this guy? But that what sealed it for me is that I'm waiting for the northbound train and I hear the southbound train coming in. And when a train is incoming, there is kind of a a loud chime sound that comes when a train is coming into the platform. And so I hear the chime sound from the southbound train go off as I'm reading this guy's sign, but then I look at him and just ever so slightly, I see him tilt his head and turn his eyes towards the loudspeaker where the chime is going. And he goes, and then quickly like, goes back to looking forward. And I was like, you're not deaf! You're probably not even homeless, and you're probably not even a veteran. Look at you trying to scam people out of their hard-earned money when there are people who need it. And so, like, I'm mad, and I kind of like, oh, like, walking away, and I sit about two benches down from where this guy is sitting. And I sit on the bench, and I'm a little bit fuming, and then, I hear this voice. This guy next to me says, It's a shame, isn't it? And I look over, and here's this guy in a nice business suit. And at his feet is what appears to be his son playing with a car on the, on the platform. And I go, It's a shame. What, what do you mean? He goes, Well, you saw the guy who was down there, right? And I was like, Yeah. He's like, you know, it really stinks when there's guys out here that are trying to scam people. And I was like, yeah, you notice that too? And he's like, yeah. You know, guys like that, there are so many people in need, and this guy is trying to take our generosity and use it for bad purposes. What if this guy over here, what if he uses that money to just go buy alcohol? What if he takes it from somebody who actually needs it? And I'm like nodding along. I'm like, yeah, 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 you tell him. Amen, brother. And he's like, yeah, I even heard of this one woman who uh, panhandles in New York, and she's blind, but she makes so much money panhandling that at the end of the day, a luxury sedan comes and picks her up and takes her to her apartment on the Upper East Side. And I was like, yeah, those people are the worst. And so we got, you know, this guy and I, we keep talking for a little bit, but then the northbound train comes. And so I rise up to get on the train, and the guy doesn't rise with me. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, he could have got on the southbound train, but he didn't. But he's sitting on the north side, like, this is the only train going north. That's weird that he doesn't want to get up to, but whatever. I'm still like... On my way, I get into the train car and I sit down and I look out for a moment and the guy's gone. And I don't think too much about it because I'm like, still fuming about what we had been talking about and I'm like grouchy and I'm in a terrible mood. And so I finally get home, I make myself some dinner. And then after dinner, I do some devotions and I open up the Bible. And I wish I could tell you that uh, I was reading the Bible out of uh, some wonderful sense of piety but the honest truth is that the place that I was at in Maryland didn't have Wi-Fi, and I didn't have a smartphone at the time, so with no internet, I was pretty bored all the time, and so I read a lot of the Bible, probably out of just pure boredom. (laughs) But that night, I was reading Matthew 5, which is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I hit this verse that hit me like a ton of bricks. And it stopped me in my tracks. Matthew 5, 40, 42 says, Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow. And I was so struck by that verse. I'm not, I'm what you would call someone who is supernatural, skeptical. It's not that I don't believe that, you know, there's God and a metaphysical reality beyond our own, that angels and demons don't exist. I, I do believe it. But I'm very skeptical when anybody is like, I saw a ghost the other day. Or, you know, a demon made me do it. I'm very skeptical when people say those things. But I have no other explanation for this moment but to say that this, running into this verse on this day, was the Holy Spirit trying to speak to me. And that what I experienced on that platform was the work of temptation trying to harden my heart against being generous to my neighbor. And what I realized as I was doing my devotions for that night is that if I give and my gift is abused, then the issue is between God and that person. However, if I see someone who is in need, and I refuse to give, well, then the issue is between God and me. And so this idea that, you know, there can be a gap between me and a separation that we cause in our own hearts, that as our hearts harden, It's harder and harder for us to be generous, but that makes its way into our relationship with God and others is talked about by Jesus. See, he tells this parable about the rich man and Lazarus. So parables are a story with a point. And Jesus tells this story that starts, there once was a man named Lazarus and a man who was very rich. And the man who was rich wore purple linens every single day and purple was a sign of wealth and royalty because it was a really hard color to make back in the ancient world. And it says that the rich man ate sumptuously every single day and ate more than his fill. Not only that, but the rich man had a giant house and the house was walled off by a gate. But at the gate, there was a man named Lazarus who yearned to simply eat the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. But nobody took pity on Lazarus. Nobody regarded him with kindness or compassion. And the only kindness he ever received was from dogs who would come and lick at his wounds. Jesus says that one day Lazarus died and was taken away by the angels to be with the fathers of the Jewish faith, and likewise, a few days later, the rich man also passed away, but went to Hades, which is the Greek conception of the underworld. And while the rich man was in Hades, he experienced anguish and torment, this insatiable thirst that could never be satisfied. And one day, the rich man sees Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, coming towards him from a distance. And he cries out to Abraham. He says, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And then he notices something. He notices that there's a person alongside Abraham, and it's Lazarus, this man that he recognizes from lying outside of his gate every single day. And he cries out to Abraham, and he goes, Abraham, Abraham. Send Lazarus to dip his hand in water and maybe even just a drop will help quench my thirst for I am in agony. Now, we got to stop and think about the audacity of this statement. That this rich man, even in the afterlife, still sees himself as better than Lazarus and that it's Lazarus's job to serve him and his needs. And so Abraham responds like this. He says, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. Now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed So those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. I'm struck by this word, chasm, or in Greek, kasma, which means a deep fissure in the earth, rock, or another surface. It's this dramatic illustration that there is a gap between the rich man and Lazarus now that cannot Be bridged. It cannot come together again. And that somehow this chasm was created by the way that the rich man treated Lazarus in this life. And that only in the afterlife is that chasm fixed. It's in part because of this parable that we also understand chasm to now mean a profound difference between people. That the rich man's lack of generosity created a chasm that could only be solved in the next life. And I think we do that too. I think we create chasms in our own lives between us and our neighbor, us and the people around us, through the ways that our hearts harden and we are unable to show love and compassion and mercy to the people around us. And even if we do, even if we are consumed with the problem of enough, that some people don't have enough, often we look for big, systematic changes as the solution for how we get there. Sometimes we think about big political systems that might close this gap, fix this chasm, And so, some of us say, well, you know, if everybody was capitalist, then, you know, a rising tide will just raise all boats. And some people say, well, if we just had socialism and we took from those who had a lot and gave to those who didn't have much, then that would fix it too. Or if we had communism, where we just held everything in common and the government was able to give out according to each person's need. But I think we know, in our hearts, that politics can't solve the problem of enough. That no economic system that ends in an ism can cross the chasm between us and our neighbor that is caused by our ungenerous hearts. Because generosity, it can't be forced. It can't be legislated. I believe that generosity can only be provoked by love. And it is when we have love and concern and regard for our neighbor that we begin to narrow the gap between us and the people around us. So going back to the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man as he recognizes the error of his ways, says, look, I now realize that I have created this chasm by the way that I treated Lazarus. Abraham, please let me send a message, for I have five brothers, and I do not want them to befall the same fate that I have. And Abraham says, they had Moses and the prophets and all the words of scripture. They should have listened to them. And the rich man goes, no, 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 But you don't get it. Why don't you send Lazarus back? Because surely if Lazarus comes back from the dead to give them a message, surely they will listen to him. But Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, if you remember, who's telling this story? Jesus is telling this story. Jesus knows the end of his story is going to end in death, but then in the hope of resurrection. And even he knows that Moses, the prophet's scripture, and even his own testimony is not enough to capture people. That people are still not going to receive the message that starts making here on earth, this time now, a little bit more like the kingdom of God in heaven. But as Christians, the thing that we can rest on is knowing that Jesus truly is the one who bridges the chasm. That it is Jesus and the love that he has shown his love, mercy, and sacrifice that shows us how we are to bridge the gap between us and our neighbor, us and the other person in our lives, and create a kingdom of God that honors our Father in heaven. And only Jesus can do that, and only by us following his example can we start to close that gap. Because ultimately the thing that we rest on is knowing that God has provided enough for us and a part of that provision is Jesus. That Jesus is enough. That Jesus is our hope that sustains us now and will continue to sustain us into the future. Amen, good? Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask you to intervene in our lives to send your spirit so that we might be able to hold on to this theology of enough, to trust you and your provision and trust what you're doing now and in the future is for our benefit, that you will not leave us with less than what we need. That in your love and your abundance, you have created this world with more than enough as long as we share it with those around us. God, we are sorry for the ways in which we have walked past the Lazaruses in our own life. That our hearts have hardened against people in need and which we have hoarded up for ourselves. God, we ask you to soften our hearts Remind us to be content with our daily bread and help us with your spirit to help create the kingdom of heaven here on earth. God, continue to lead us and guide us. Continue to point us to the example of your son, Jesus Christ, that we might know you and in doing so, we might know our neighbor. It's in your name we pray. Amen.